0: Right, we're over in Acts chapter 7, looking at the trial of Stephen. We saw last time that Stephen was in court, and they brought accusations against him. Of course, there was no founding to the accusations, but once they could not contend with the wisdom of Stephen, they, of course, begin to try and bring down his character, the same pattern that they've always followed in the past. And in Acts chapter 7, verse one, verse 1, then the high priest said, are these things so, the things that all these people said about him? And he said, Brethren and fathers, listen, the God of glory appeared to our father, Abraham, when he was in Mesopotamia, before he dwelt in Haran. And he said to him, Get out of your country, from your relatives, and come to a land that I will show you. Now, we've talked about the words of God before. Most of the time, that God gives words, instructions. They're pretty short. Of course, the book of Leviticus and Exodus are a little uh out of character with that, but most of the times he gives it to an individual is pretty short. This one is a little longer than he gives to most people. And we can kind of see why when you see the instructions. Get out of your country and from your relatives and come to a land that I will show you. Well, for most people, maybe get out of your country was enough. But for Abraham, he had to emphasize, get away from your relatives. And of course, he brought one with him. So he says here that uh, that God appeared to him in Mesopotamia. That is in the Chaldeans, the Ur of the Chaldeans area. Before he dwelt in Haran, and though it was not exactly uh, spelled out for us over there in the book of Genesis, what he had done was he had left where he was supposed to be, or where he, he was, and he went on a journey, stopped in Haran where his uh, father may have taken ill or something would have happened along the way, so he brought his father with him, he brought his nephew with him, and who knows who else. And when his father uh, died in Haran, God gave him the word again, you're supposed to leave, your relatives, and so forth. So he leaves the rest of the relatives there, but still brings his nephew. And they take off for the land that God would show them. And when he sends back to get a wife, where does he go back to? It's not Ur of the Chaldeans. It is Haran, because that's where he left many relatives. So though God was a little longer in the instructions with him, Abraham still disobeyed them. Get out of your country and from your relatives. And come to a land that I will show you. So he got out of his country but brought his relatives. And that's not something that he was supposed to have done. Then he came out of the land of Chaldeans and dwelt in Haran. And from there, when his father was dead, he moved him to this land in which you now dwell. And God gave him no inheritance in it, not even enough to set his foot on. But God said about his feet, wherever it is your foot, Shall tread? I have given it to you. But what Stephen is bringing out here is that not even a place where his foot was, was a place of inheritance for him. God gave him no inheritance in the land, not even enough to set his foot on. But even when Abraham had no child, he promised to give it to him for a possession and his descendants after him. So before there was a child, which there was a promise of a child, before there was a child, there was a promise of an inheritance. There was no inheritance, there was no child, but there was a promise of both. But God spoke in this way that his descendants would dwell in a foreign land and that they would bring them into bondage and oppress them 400 years. And the nation to whom they will be in bondage I will judge, said God, and after that they shall come out and serve me in this place. Then he gave him the covenant of circumcision. So Abraham begot Isaac and circumcised him on the eighth day, and Isaac begot Jacob, and Jacob begot 12 patriarchs. So we have here that there were 400 years that they were in bondage. Now, I put in your outline here, did God's plan include bondage and oppression? What is interesting is that it is prophesied that it would be so. Uh, Skip on down in your outline to Genesis chapter 15, verse 13. Then he said to Abram, Know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs. And will serve them and they will afflict them 400 years. And also the nation whom they serve, I will judge. Afterward, they shall come out with great possessions. It would seem that God had said this is what's going to happen. If God says it, does that mean that is God's will? But you have the problem here in that God said, I'm going to take you to this land. Your descendants are going to be brought into bondage. And I'm going to bring them out after 400 years. If you were one of the children of Israel, would that sound like a good plan? Especially if you were going to be one of them. Because 400 years, that's a a few generations. That means a certain number of generations are never going to see the promised land, are never going to experience freedom, are going to be born a slave and die a slave. That does not sound like a really good idea. Um, I think if I was one of the children of Israel, might be wondering about that. So does God's plan include bondage and oppression? Well, it certainly is in his prophecy. If it is God's plan, why does God judge it? Because he says he will judge this nation that puts them in bondage. If it is God's plan to bring them into bondage, why would you judge the people who brought them into it? We're going to go on here and just uh, see the rest of the. The stuff is throwing out some questions here for you just yet. And the patriarchs, becoming envious, sold Joseph into Egypt. But God was with him and delivered him out of all his troubles and gave him favor and wisdom in the presence of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And he made him governor over Egypt and all his house. So they became envious and they sold Joseph. Never a good thing to become envious. A lot of things going on in this world today trying to get us to become envious of other people. Don't become envious. Be glad with what you have. You can strive for the promises of God for your life, but you do not have to take from other people. They became envious of what Joseph had. The reason Joseph had it is because Joseph was qualified. He was the best one of the group to run them. He was the best manager of the group. No one came close to Joseph, which is why he got it. He didn't just get it because he was the father's favorite. He got it because he was the best qualified. And we certainly saw that in the rest of his uh, endeavors that he took on. But it says here that God delivered him out of all his troubles. 17 years, Joseph was in, in slavery and then in prison for 17 years. Does that sound like a deliverance to you? But here it is. This is Stephen preaching. And the patriarchs becoming envious sold Joseph into Egypt. But God was with him and delivered him out of all his troubles. And gave him favor and wisdom in the presence of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And he made him governor over Egypt and all his house. I put this in your outline for you. Many times we consider being delivered out of our trouble as being delivered out of our situations. And that's not always how God looks at it. God did not deliver him out of the situation for 17 years. But he delivered him out of his trouble. All the time that he is in the house, he's at peace. He even talks about him being brought into a place of abundance, even as a slave. He was delivered from all his trouble. If you have trouble, it's not because of your situation. Too often we blame our troubles on our situations. And God will deliver you out of your troubles while you stay in your situation. That's all. Just Your situation is not the cause. You've got to get your eyes off of that. Joseph had to do the same thing. He had to get his eyes off his situation and, and, and look at a different place. Now a famine and great trouble came over all the land of Egypt and Canaan, and our fathers found no sustenance. But when Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent out out our fathers first. And the second time, Joseph was made known to his brothers, and Joseph's family became known to Pharaoh. Joseph sent and called his father Jacob and all his relatives to him, 75 people. So Jacob went down to Egypt, and he died, he and our fathers, and they were carried back to Shechem and laid in a tomb that Abraham bought with a sum of money. From the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem. So when Jacob died, they brought him right back to to Egypt. When Joseph died, Joseph said, leave my bones in the the, uh, uh, casket and keep it out for everybody to see. Because you're going to bring my bones up from here. Because you will certainly be delivered from this place. So here we have a famine that came on the people of Israel affected all the world and came upon the place of Israel. Now, Joseph was sent on ahead to head off the famine. So here's another question for you. Is the famine the will of God? God knew about it. God does not prevent it. Can God stop a famine? What does a famine do? A famine kills people. It destroys wealth. Does God kill and destroy? Can it be the will of God for the famine to happen? cannot be the will of God, but it does. And God says it's going to happen. And God sends someone along to prepare it, but it's not God's will. Israel goes into slavery. Is it God's will that Israel goes into slavery? God predicted it. God said, you're going to go into this land. You're going to be in a foreign land. You're going to be sojourners in a foreign land. This is before you get an inheritance in the promised land. And you're going to be enslaved in that land for four 100, after 400 years, I'll bring it out They weren't enslaved for all 400. They were enslaved for a number of those years, but it doesn't say exactly how much 400 years they were in there. So what is the reason for the slavery? Verse 17, but when the time of promise drew near where which God had sworn to Abraham, the people grew and multiplied in Egypt till another king arose who did not know Joseph. Is it the responsibility of the king to have known Joseph? Absolutely it is. Absolutely it is. It is our job. It is our responsibility as people to know who came before and what they did. What is the thing that is constantly repeated in the Old Testament? Repeat these to your kids. Repeat these to the next generation so that they don't forget. Set this up as a memorial to generations afterwards that they do not forget. He keeps, God keeps emphasizing with the children of Israel, keep Telling them the stories of what happened when you came out of Egypt, of what happened in the wilderness, of what happened when you came into the promised land. You must continue to tell them. If you don't, they will what? Forget. Is it God's will that they forget? No, it is very much God's will that they continue to remember. And even in Egypt, they should have remembered. It's imperative that we remember. We teach history, and well, some places in this country still teach it, but not all schools are are teaching it to the degree that they should. But our founding fathers—it's vital that we know what they went through. It's vital that we know what they gave up and what they sacrificed. It's vital that we knew what what they did, how they built this country, what kind of principles they founded on. You go through the the nation's capital, and there is a Lincoln Memorial. There's a Washington Memorial. There's all these different memorials. There's a World War II. There's a Korean War. There's a Vietnam. There's all these different war memorials and other memorials. Why? So that we remember and that we don't forget the mistakes of the past and learn from the mistakes of the past so that we don't repeat them again. It didn't work out so well with World War I. We saw what a dictator did in Germany and did we go after it? No, we waited and we waited and we waited and finally we got into it when it was almost too late. You would think that we would learn from that. But what happened in World War II? Same thing. Same country involved. And we let the dictator keep on going on and doing stuff and doing stuff and just kind of closed our eyes to it until finally it was almost too late. He had taken over most of Europe. Almost too late. And one of the reasons we got into the war it was because we were attacked. Not because we saw the wisdom of the of the past. <laughs> Whose responsibility was it for us to learn from the past? Yes. Ours. God tells us, you need to do this. You need to remind them of that. It was the Pharaoh's job to know who Joseph was. He didn't do it. His father before him didn't teach him. The father before him did. But his father, this one, who, this Pharaoh who forgot, his father didn't teach him. But that father was taught because he did not oppress Israel. But this one did because it was not told. That was their, their error. That was their fault. And that's why they went into that's one of the reasons why they went into slavery was because someone did not teach the way that they should have. To another king arose who did not know Joseph, but when the time uh, but this man dealt treacherously with our people. He dealt treacherously with our people and oppressed our forefathers, making them expose their babies so that they might not live. That's not the will of God to kill babies. Not the will of God. A new king, this new king arose and put in your outline just because we are ignorant does not mean we are guiltless. There are people in this country. There are people in other countries, there are people in the past and in history who have made mistakes, who have done things, and it does not mean that they are guiltless for their mistakes because they didn't know. Ignorance is not an excuse. When uh, Josiah came to the kingdom and he sent someone out to the temple and they cleaned up the place and they found inside the temple some scrolls and they started to read them and they became very sad when they read what was on the scrolls because it pronounced judgment upon their country. And they wept and they cried out to God and they fasted and they did all the different things. And God sent a prophet. And he said, every word that you read is going to happen. Right? Well, we were we were ignorant. We didn't know. We found out. We discovered it, but we didn't know. It don't matter. God does not use ignorance as an excuse. People are dying uh, from health-related issues because they don't know about having faith in God. Well, doesn't God just look on them and say, well, they don't know? Does he do that? No, he doesn't do it. The Word of God even says that's why many are sick and die early, because they don't know some things, because they don't press in and hear some things. We're still getting into this why Israel went into slavery thing. So just because we are ignorant does not mean we are guiltless. It is our duty to learn from what is recorded, taught, and prophesied. It is our duty. We need to know what went on in the past. We We need to know what is being taught. And we need to know what is prophesied to be coming in the future. That is our job. If stuff happens and takes us by surprise, whose fault is it? It's ours. Israel did not learn the lessons of prophecy and took their, uh, under the, the Grecian Empire, and took them from under the reign of the southern king of the south and put themselves under the reign of the king of the north, even though their prophecies told them that the oppressor was going to come from the king of the north. They didn't read. They were ignorant. They didn't read these things. They didn't believe their own prophecies. And because of it, they gave power to the one who would oppress them. Is that the will of God? Absolutely not. But they didn't listen. They didn't follow after it. So it is our duty to learn from what is recorded, what is taught, and what is prophesied. So did, did God lead Israel into Egypt so that they would become slaves? Did God lead is, Israel into Egypt so that they would become slaves? Well, let's take a look at the uh, the evidence. First off, God said, I'm going to take you down into here into Egypt. I'm not going to give you an inheritance in the promised land yet. It will be coming to your children, but it's not going to come to you, Abraham. And Stephen is saying in this message, Abraham did not have any inheritance for even the sole of his foot. And so they they, they stayed there for a while, but they had children and eventually uh, they had Abraham. They had Isaac. They had Jacob. Jacob, the 12 kids out of the 12 kids. One of them was sent ahead into Egypt sold as a slave and then eventually the other 11 came on down to buy food and eventually all 75 came on down into the land of Egypt because they had food there. And God says, you're going to go down there into that far land. It's not your land. That's not your home. And you're going to be there for 400 years. What do you think Abraham's thinking about? When the word comes, we need to go down to Egypt. Joseph has got a place there for us. I think he's got to be thinking, hmm, 400 years. I wonder if we want to be in Egypt 400 years. Now, this is the same guy when there was a famine in the promised land, went to Egypt on his own. I'm sure he passed that on to his kids. He comes down to Jacob, and Jacob's saying, Hmm, 400 years we're going to be down in there? Hmm, we're not just going there for a little vacation here. We're not just going there for a little time while the famine's going on. That kind of stuff was passed on to these folks. They knew about it. So they get uh, they get down there. But if God knows... If God knows, he knows it so much, he is telling them ahead of time, you will be brought into slavery, servanthood. After 400 years, I'm going to bring you out. So here's the question. Why would God lead them into Egypt? Why not find another way around it? Now, the reason they went into Egypt was because there was a famine. If there's no famine, there's no reason to go. Why doesn't God just stop the famine? Once they go, things are, are set in motion. A king's going to come up, not going to remember Joseph, and he's going to oppress them and put them into there. Well, the the reason is, the reason as I see it, and you can meditate on this and do other things you want. Israel went into slavery. Did they do something to deserve it? They sold their brother into slavery. Israel, Joseph is one of their own. They sold one of their own into slavery and set the things in motion for themselves to be brought into slavery. Now, you say this is not fair. Joseph and all the people after him, they were not responsible for that. But there are certain times in in the word of God where a sin by some in the nation brings it upon all. And this apparently is one of those times. The entire nation is sold into slavery. When they went to the promised land the first time and they didn't go in. Weren't there some people who said we can go in? And did not those same people wander in the wilderness for 40 years with the rest of them? Sure did. This is not a new precedent. This is not a new thing that God has done. But they sold them into into slavery. They got money for it. They were paid for selling themselves into slavery. Now, the one thing you can say out of that is that uh, Israel eventually was paid for their years of slavery. So he did extract that from from the folks down there in, uh, in Egypt. But it seems to be an awful lot of similarities between the selling of Joseph. Because their original intent was to what? Kill him. When they put them into slavery, what was their original goal? They wanted to wipe them out. But they said, we can't. They're too many. So they decided on slavery instead. Isn't that kind of similar to what happened before? Things happen in our life. Things happen in a country's life. Things happen in past history, not always because it's the will of God. But because we have set things in motion through our disobedience or through our not knowing what has gone on before. Because of that. We have gone in the wrong way. When Israel got into involved in idolatry. Did they set things in motion? Did they reap the result of those things? And yet God did not want these things to be happening. He didn't want that. When Solomon set things in motion and began to multiply wives and multiply horses, did he set things in motion that he wasn't supposed to do? And did he reap the results of those things? There are many times things going on in our life we have set in motion because of our disobedience to something God has said or something God needed us to learn and we didn't do it. And there are many Christians who go around and say, well, God must have a reason. God must have a Purpose? Can you see any possible purpose for God putting His people into slavery? Is slavery of God? Absolutely not. God is not something God wants to have going on. But they set themselves in this kind of emotion, and they brought it. So I put in here two reasons. First off, Israel had sold Joseph into slavery, and they became. Enslaved themselves. Here's the second reason. Once they were in Egypt, somewhere along that process, either before they went into slavery or after they went into slavery, Israel adopted idolatry. They embraced the idolatry of Egypt. We saw that when they came to the mountain and they immediately set up two golden calves. These are Egyptian gods. They embraced the idolatry of Egypt. So they were in the land of Egypt. And I, I suspect we, don't, we have no clue from Scripture where this happened. We just know that it did. I suspect that somewhere along the time before they came into slavery, they embraced idolatry. They embraced the idolatry of Egypt because they had no, by doing so, they could not call out to their God. Where do we leave off here? Verse 19. All right. Verse 20. At this time, Moses was born and was well pleasing to God, and he was brought up in his father's house for three months. But when he was set out, Pharaoh's daughter took him away and brought him up as her own son. And Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and deeds. Now, when he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel. So somehow he picked up that these are his brethren. And seeing one of them suffer wrong, he defended and avenged him who was oppressed and struck down the Egyptian. For he supposed that his brethren would have understood that God would deliver them by his hand, but they did not understand. They did not understand. He realizes at this point that he is the deliverer. And he thinks that everybody else is going to realize that too. And the next day he appeared to two of them as they were fighting and tried to reconcile them, saying, Men, you are brethren. Why do you do wrong one to another? But he who did his neighbor wrong pushed him away, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you did the Egyptian yesterday? Tell you what, we'd like to think a lot of things are covered up. Mm -hmm. You find out they are not. Then at this saying, Moses fled and became a dweller in the land of Midian, where he had two sons. And when 40 years had passed, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, in a flame of fire, in a bush, in the wilderness of Mount Sinai. When Moses saw it, he marveled at the sight, and he, as he drew near to observe, the voice of the Lord came to him, saying, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses trembled and dared not look. Now, if God had predicted that Israel would be in Egypt, the land that they would sojourn in, for how long? 400 years. They ended up being in Egypt for how long? Four hundred and thirty. So what we know from that math, because he is up in the land of medium for 40 years. So it meant that at 390 years is when he went out to deliver his brethren by his own hand. Somewhere around there, he received that calling a year before, two years before, maybe a little bit before that. But at least 10 years before the 400 years, he went out to try and do this. He was 10 years premature. He was supposed to be developed into this deliver and God had a plan that in 10 years he would lead them out so that it would be 400 years but he did not follow that plan he went in his own direction so the will of God was that in 400 years we bring them out because Moses followed his own path and went his own direction and tried to do it in his own power and then went away to the land of Midian and ran off for 40 years the plan of God was delayed by 30 430 years later he brings them on back Then the Lord said to him, take your sandals off your feet for the place where you stand is holy ground. I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their groaning. I've come down to deliver them. And now. And now come, I will send you to Egypt. Now, I think it's very interesting to note that who does he identify himself with? Go back up to verse 32, saying, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob, why does he not say, I am the God of Israel? Because they are not following him. So he goes back to the people who are. The people of Israel are not in faith. Now, there are some that are. We know that there's some uh, Joshua's out there and there's some Caleb's out there and some other people who have been faithful to God. But he talks about the people that his promises to. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He responds to the cries of the people because of Abraham, because of Isaac, and because of Jacob, not because of the people. The people are worshiping an idol. But God says, I have a promise to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And identifies himself as, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He is up in wherever he is in communication with Abraham. Isaac and Jacob. They, of course, are not in heaven just yet, but God has access to where they are. And they uh, may talk to God. God, what about our our folks down there? And God may say, because Abraham's a good barterer with God. God may say, they aren't following after me. They got no faith for getting out of this. He says, yeah, but you promised me. Isaac, come on over here. You promised Isaac. Jacob, come on over here. You promised Jacob. You promised us you'd do this. And we're in faith. And we were in faith all of our days. And he says, yes, you were. I don't know if that's exactly what went on, but I kind of have a feeling that's something went on because these folks are not following after God. Just cries, oh, Lord, help us is not going to move God. It is faith that moves God. So somebody had to be in faith. Then the Lord said to him, Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their groaning and have come down to deliver them. And now, come, I will send you to Egypt. This Moses, whom they rejected, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge, is the one God sent to be a ruler and a deliverer by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the bush. He brought them out, and after he had shown wonders and signs in the land of Egypt and in the Red Sea and in the wilderness for forty years... This is what Moses this is that Moses who said to the children of Israel, the Lord your God, will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren, him you shall hear. This is he who was in the congregation in the wilderness with the angel, who spoke to him on Mount Sinai and with our fathers, the one who received a living oracle to give to us, whom our fathers would not obey, but rejected, and in their hearts they turned back to Egypt. Saying to Aaron, make us gods to go before us. As for this Moses who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him, and they made a calf in those days, offered sacrifices to the idol, and rejoiced in the works of their own hands. Then God turned and gave them up to worship the host of heaven. The host of heaven. Don't like that term. And is the written in, and is written in the book of the prophets, did you offer me? Slaughtered animals and sacrifices during 40 years in the wilderness, O house of Israel. You also took up the tabernacle of Moloch and the star of your God, Remphan. Images which you made to worship and I will carry you away beyond Babylon. He goes on in verse 44. Our fathers had the tabernacle of witness in the wilderness as he appointed instructing Moses to make it according to the pattern that he had seen. So God had shown Moses a pattern. On the mountain, God had shown a pattern of the tabernacle. It is imperative to God that Moses follow the pattern for which he had seen. Because so much is going to be based off of the pattern of the tabernacle. All the pieces, the way it's laid out, was all meaningful. And it had to be done exactly that way. So Moses had to be faithful to deliver everything. And Moses was faithful, except in one instance. And because of that, he was judged. How important is faithfulness to God? We are not to do something the way we think it ought to be done. We are not to be doing something the best we can. We are to do things the way God said. As he appointed instructing Moses to make it according to the pattern that he had seen, which our fathers, having received it in turn, also brought with Joshua in the land of possession into the land possessed by the Gentiles, whom God drove out before the face of our fathers until the days of David, who found favor before God and asked to find a dwelling for the God of Jacob. But Solomon built him a house. However, the Most High does not dwell in temples made with hands, as the prophet says. Heaven is my throne, and earth is my footstool. What house will you build for me, says the Lord, or what is the place of my rest? Has my hand not made all these things, you stiff-necked, and uncircumcised in heart and ears. He's speaking to the leaders directly in this one. You always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did. So do you. He brought up the entire history of how stiff-necked Israel has been. And then he points the finger at them and he says, You guys are just as stiff-necked as all the people that have come before you. That is the pattern that you have followed instead of the pattern that God wanted you to. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? Well, how many prophets came to the land of Israel and they persecuted them? They killed them. They abused them. They imprisoned them. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who foretold the coming of the just one of whom you now have become the betrayers and murderers. So these prophets have been sent. They are told of the coming of Jesus, the Messiah. And now you guys are the very ones who destroyed him that has been prophesied all these years of whom you now have become the betrayers and murderers who have received the law by the direction of angels and have not kept it. These are very pointed words. And he's got to know this is going to have consequences. It is a hard thing to see the face of evil and call it out when you know people will not receive it. But you have to do it. And he did. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed at him with their teeth. I have no idea what that is. I've heard people talk about it and studied it. No idea what gnashing of teeth is. I just haven't seen that. But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God and said, Look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Now, he just talked about Joseph. Joseph got himself in trouble by talking about the dreams he had. <laughs> I think he probably knew what's going to happen if he says anything like this, but he says it anyway. Well, if God showed it to him at that time, maybe it was for him to be telling. Then they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears, and ran at him with one accord. That's what a lot of the folks do that are in the way of evil. They close their ears to what is truth. And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. In other words, he died. He fell asleep like Lazarus fell asleep. (laughs) He died. And, And that was it. So Stephen... Ministry is not real long-lived. He did great wonders, great signs, was persecuted for them. And uh, here's the, the one message that, we, that he taught that we have recorded. He probably taught other ones, but this is the one we have recorded. And he did quite a, a synopsis of history and the things that had gone on be- before, all to point the finger at the people who were standing in leadership over them to say, you guys are a bunch of hypocrites. You guys are a bunch of stiff-necked people. And you're just like the fathers who went before you. And you followed their exact same pattern. And they decided to kill him for it. Put this in your outline. This is the same thing you know from before. If the enemy cannot combat you, they try to combat his wisdom. And the things that he had done, they couldn't do it. If the enemy cannot combat you, they will try to silence you. Remember, they pulled the disciples aside. You will not speak in this name. Then discredit you. With Stephen, they tried to have people come in and bear faultless witness, but none of them agreed. With Jesus, they did the same thing. If that, that also fails, then they will seek to destroy you. And this is always the pattern that they follow. They will try to combat. If they can't, they will try in silence. They will then try and discredit. And if all else fails, they will try to destroy you. That is the pattern of Satan. That is the pattern of his kingdom. Whomever you see follow this pattern is following in that one. It is not God's pattern. God's pattern is different. But we see that Israel came into a lot of things in their, in their history. And not all was the will of God. Slavery, I don't believe, was ever the intention of God. But once again, God is in touch with the present, the past, and the future. All at the same time. All of it at the same time. He's just as in touch with us now as he is with Abraham back in his day. And he is as he is with those in the tribulation period ahead of us. He's just as in touch with all of it. He can be in all times at the same time. We can only be in one time at the, same, at, the, at the same time. And we go from one time to the next in a linear fashion. That is not how God does it. That's why He is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And not, not that He was the God. He is the God. He is the God of those who are to come, just as He is the God of those who are behind. That is our God. And so He stood where He was with Abraham, in touch with all the decisions that people would make and all the things that they would do. God's patterns are clear. Remember, he had the temple. He had a pattern. Moses, follow this pattern. Do it this way. I need it to be done exactly like this. I need it to be exactly this long, exactly this high with Noah. Noah built it this way. He gave him a pattern. And he need. I need you to follow it exactly this way. God has a pattern that he follows, and he does not lead his people into slavery. He does not lead them into idolatry. But people have made their own decisions, and when they make their own decisions, they face their own things. Many Christians walk around on this earth declaring that whatever it is that they're going through is the will of God, and that somehow they will either learn something from it, or God has a purpose for it, or so forth, and very seldom do they look to their own life to find the pattern that they may have followed. Just because a bad thing happens to you does not mean that you miss God or followed a bad pattern. There are too many examples in the word of people who had bad things happen to them following the direction that God said to go in. Joseph was following God's direction and he fell into a pit (laughs) with some help. He had had a little bit of help and all that. Paul, people sought his life and tried to kill him early. But God showed him how to get around it. Why did they want to get him? Because of some patterns that he had followed. But God says, I'm going to show you how to break out of those things. Come along this way. And God's word to him, I'm going to show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. And he suffered many things. He was a, he lists the one part, I think it's Corinthians. He lists all the things he went through. or some of the things he went through. Shipwrecks. The days without food and water. All the whippings and beatings and and so forth that he went through. Uh, Was that the will of God? I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. The Word of God talks about suffering for the name of God and suffering for the purposes of sin. He said, make sure you don't suffer for the wrong things. Paraphrase, but that's what Paul was teaching. Make sure you don't suffer for the wrong things. Suffer for the right ones. For his name's sake, for his word, we will suffer persecution in this world. We will. But there are some things that can come to us that we had just followed a wrong pattern. We just followed a wrong way and we just did not follow the way that God had outlined for us to go. And we can fall into things like Israel's slavery, Israel's adultery, or uh, idolatry, and bear the, the results of that. Well... If we did some things, set some things in, 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 a, in a particular path, sometimes God can lead us around that and sometimes he cannot. Remember the prophet came to David after the sin with Bathsheba and he says, David, you have given an opportunity for the enemy. And his son died. God did, God did not or was not able to stop that pattern that had been started. But it came because of what David had done, not because it was the will of God. It's never the will of God for that to go on. But David had set a thing in in a pattern in order with the adultery, with the murder of the husband and a few other things that he had done. He brought other people into the sin and compromised some things. You think that he would have the audacity to stand before God and say, God, you brought this on me. David knew better. He knew better. When the baby died, he got up, showered, sat down, ate, and they all were were perplexed. Well, why is this? We thought that this would push you over the edge. He said, no, as long as the child was alive, I was thinking that maybe God could intervene on this thing. But the child is dead. God was not able to intervene. He had set a pattern in motion. We need to understand that not all things that happen in this world are the will of God. There's a prayer that Jesus taught his disciples. And in that prayer, he says this phrase, your will be done in uh, on earth as it is. In heaven, which means the will of God is always done in heaven, not so much down here. If that was not so, Jesus would not have taught us to pray that way. Your will be done on earth As it is in heaven, one of our purposes is to bring the will of God here on the earth. Because much of what is going on here, folks, is not the will of God. We need to recognize the patterns of the enemy. We need to recognize the things that they do to kill, steal, and to destroy. And we need to be those who stand up against it. Doing so will mean you're not going to be very popular with some people. But you stand for the Word. As Stephen did, he stood for the Word. And by standing for the Word, you will become persecuted. You need to stand up and say some things. These ridiculous folks that are out there when a baby dies and say, Well, God needed the baby more than you did. It's just a ridiculous thing. That's not the will of God. Make sure that we are never promoting this idea, this religious idea, that whatever happens on this earth, it must have been the will of God. No. We know how to recognize what is the will of God because we have a pattern for it in the Word. We know He's described to us, these are the things that are my will. These are the things that are the will of the enemy. If it's in this camp, it's probably my will. If it's in this camp, it's probably in His. Which one is it going in? And the people have a way of directing what happens in their life into one area or the other. Just as David did just as Saul did, just as Paul did. He was in the wrong direction, got himself in the right one. We have a lot of cases of people who were in the right direction and put themselves in the wrong one. And we ought not to follow those kind of patterns. Father, we thank you for the help that you give us, that in our life we can keep ourselves out of the will of the enemy and in the will of God. Being in the will of God doesn't mean that everything is just hunky-dory doesn't mean that everything goes perfectly, but it means the things that are the will of God are what we see in our life. The things that are the will of the enemy, they're not the things that we see. We want to pursue the things of God, that even in the midst of situations that are not favorable, we are delivered. Not will be delivered, but in the midst of situations that are less than favorable, we are delivered. Just as Joseph in his situation was delivered, we can be as well. Following after the will of God. When we follow after the will of God, all these things that evil people have proposed, have intended for us, will not come upon us. We thank you for it. I thank you for the example of Stephen. How he stood up to the religious mindset of that day had no trouble calling a spade a spade and saying you guys are just as stiff-necked as your forefathers and you murdered the one who was prophesied. They came out and they murdered him as well but the gospel grew. Father we thank you that we can stand for your gospel stand for your will and stand for your word.